Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and each week we talk about issues related to ministry leadership. Today I want to talk with you about decision-making strategies for ministry leaders. Particularly, I want to specifically address how to make better decisions. Everyone makes decisions. Sometimes they're simple things like where to go for lunch, uh, sometimes much more significant like who to marry or where to live or what school to attend. Everyone makes decisions, but leaders make a proportionately greater number of decisions, and we tend to make decisions that have uh, greater impact and more far-reaching consequences. We also make more decisions in the context of our work lives or vocational lives uh, that impact uh, not only the future of organizations, but the future of many of the people that we work with on a regular basis. Uh, over the years, decision making I've discovered that decision-making is really uh, a core definer, if you will, or a core quality of what makes a person a leader or what makes uh, a leader, uh, leadership as a fu- defines leadership as a function. For example, a number of years ago when I uh, left pastoral ministry and became a denominational executive, My youngest son was only five years old, and I was the only pastor he had ever known, and he had watched me in action since uh, he was old enough to be aware of what his dad did uh, for a job. So when I was no longer at the church, and he he, uh, finally discovered that I was no longer, uh, he was no longer watching me work, he asked his mom one day, uh, what does daddy do? And she said, well, he's the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. And my youngest son said, I know that. But what does daddy do? Well, my wife then gave what has proved to be an insightful decision and insightful answer in that moment and one that stuck with me over the years. She said, your daddy listens to people's ideas and then he makes the decisions. Really, that's a great summary of what executive leadership or senior leadership or even program or director level leadership is about in any organization. We listen to people and we make decisions. So that leads us to the question, how can we make better decisions, or is there a process we can use to make decisions that will lead us uh, more quickly to and more confidently to uh, the conclusions we need to reach? Well, over the years, I've put together something I call a decision tree. It's an eight-step process that I work through when making decisions. Now, I've been doing this so long that a lot of this comes intuitively to me now, and I work through it fairly quickly. But when I have a significant decision or a troublesome decision or a decision that has a lot of different moving parts, uh, I pull out this sheet of paper I'm looking at today as I teach you, and I I, I work through it step by step, uh, putting into practice what I'm teaching you in this podcast. So this is more than just theory for me. This is a tried and true process I've used now for years uh, to help me make better decisions. So here are the steps to making better decisions, or as I like to call them, a decision tree of consequential steps that uh, come one out of the other to get us to a good conclusion. The first step in making a good decision is to pray. Now there's two kinds of praying uh, that helps us with decision making. The first is what I'll call daily devotional praying, to simply prepare yourself for leadership. That's where you find yourself praying a prayer like this each morning. God, I don't know what I'll face today, but I know there'll be many decisions that come my way. Give me wisdom, knowledge, insight. Help me make good decisions uh, throughout the day that will advance uh, your work in our world. Some prayer like that where you confess your need for God's grace, your reluctance to depend on yourself, 
your inability to make good decisions, and your confidence in God to work through you is a part of devotional praying preparing you for leadership decisions throughout the day. But there's a second kind of praying we do, and that's specific issue praying about decisions you must make. Large decisions, major decisions, um, often require a lot of deliberation, and we often know that uh, those decisions have to be made sometimes months in advance, and that gives us an opportunity to pray about those things uh, daily or regularly, asking God for wisdom, insight, and direction about that specific issue. I found myself this morning, for example, praying both of these prayers. I prayed that God would give me wisdom, insight, and direction for this day, that I would be able to deal with the various things that come my way in a right kind of way and uh, make good decisions as I'm moving along uh, doing my leadership responsibility. I also prayed, though, for some specific issues. There are some particular things that are on my to-do list right now. Uh, decisions I have to make, problems I'm trying to solve, issues that require deliberation, consultation, and other kind of work. And so I put those before the Lord this morning and prayed specifically about those issues. So the first step in making good decisions is to pray. The second step is to gather the information you need related to the decision. Now, this is an interesting part of the process because Everyone, of course, wants to have good information to make good decisions, but the real challenge is how much information do you need, and when do you need to make the decision in order for it to be timely and effective in your organization. A number of years ago, I was reading a book by an American business leader named Lee Iacocca. Now, for some of you older listeners to the podcast, you'll remember that name, but you younger listeners may not be familiar to it. Lee Iacocca uh, was an American um, automobile executive, in fact, one of the most significant automotive leaders in our nation's history. He was the person, for example, who conceived of and led the team to produce the first Mustang, an iconic automobile. He was also the person who conceived of and uh, led in the creation of the first minivan, uh, the Chrysler Town and Country, the best-selling minivan of all time. That was his project. So Iacocca was a a tremendous leader, an insightful leader, uh, a person who uh, was recognized as a a business executive and expert. In writing about decision-making, he said that it takes, from his experience, about the same amount of time to amass the first 90% of the information available on any issue as it does to gather the last 10%. Now, let me say that again. It takes about the same amount of time to gather the first 90% of information given on any given issue as it does to gather the last 10%. So to, to put that into an example, if it takes six months to gather 90% of the information related to making a decision, it will take another six months to gather the last 10%. Now, uh, what, Lee, what Iacocca said was that market leaders are people who have the confidence, the intuition, the insight to make the decision based on the 90% of the information they have without waiting for the last 10% to be in hand. Now, this is particularly important for a person like me. I work in a school environment where research is highly valued. And if we're not careful here, we can find ourselves uh, spending prolonged amounts of time trying to get that last few percentage points of information and data in hand before we make the decision. 
My responsibility as a leader is to be able to make the decisions when I have most of the pertinent information in hand. And frankly, it takes long years of experience to know when you have that kind of information in hand. So when I was a younger leader, I sometimes made mistakes because I made the decisions prematurely. I also made mistakes because I waited too long. But as you learn to lead, as you lead over a lifetime, you get more skilled at knowing when you have enough information in hand to make the decision necessary. This sometimes, though, requires courage uh, and, a, and a willingness to take initiative and stand up for something or to put your reputation on the line uh, no, to make a decision final. Uh, very seldom do we have 100% of the information needed to make any good decision. So step one is to pray. Step two is to gather the information needed to make a good decision, remembering that we're probably only going to have uh, some of the information in hand, maybe even a majority of the information available. But most of the time, we will not have 100% of the information in hand about any particular decision before we have to make that decision. So step one is pray. Step two is gather information. A third step is to consult stakeholders. Now, who are these people? Stakeholders are people with a vested interest in the decision. In other words, if you're thinking about changing the preschool curriculum of your church, your stakeholders are the current teachers who teach the curriculum you're currently using and the parents of the children who are currently enrolled in your Bible teaching program. These are stakeholders. These are people who are going to be directly impacted. Now, in this case, um, you wouldn't necessarily talk to the preschoolers. They might not be able to give good impact. But if you were thinking about changing the curriculum in your adult uh, Bible study area, not only would you consult the stakeholders as the teachers, uh, the but you'd also consult the stakeholders as the students, the people who are going to be directly impacted by the decision. Consulting stakeholders is a vital part of making decisions because you get first-hand data, information, impressions uh, from the people who are going to be impacted. You may also discover obstacles you have to overcome, resistance you may encounter, issues you may not yet have considered. Uh, this doesn't, uh, let me hasten to say, consulting stakeholders doesn't mean that you're taking a public opinion poll to find out what they think and always doing it. It means you're taking seriously what they're telling you, however, and factoring it, factoring it into your decision-making process. Consulting stakeholders means that you talk with the people who have a vested interest in the decision. Uh, you work to discover what they think, how they feel, information they can give you, obstacles that you may not have considered, resistance that you may encounter. This is what consulting stakeholders uh, can help you to learn. So pray, gather information, consult the stakeholders. Number four, deliberate about your decision. Deliberation involves uh, all of the things listed above and mulling over them as you're considering your options. You're praying, you're considering the information you have, you're, con you're considering what you've learned from the stakeholders, you're studying the problem, you're reflecting on your options. Deliberating about your decision means that uh, you're thinking about it, you're perhaps writing down options of the decision and the implications that might come. Uh, it means that you're uh, rereading and reconsidering and uh, recataloging information you have and putting it into different forms and formats so that you can look at it with fresh eyes. Deliberating about the decision means that you are thoroughly immersing yourself in the problem and your decision options, and you're thinking about it on a regular and deliberate basis. So pray, gather information, consult stakeholders, and then deliberate about your decision. That leads us to number five. 
Propose options to counselors are consultants. This means that you take the options that you're generating as part of your decision, different ways that you might conclude the matter, and you propose those options to counselors or consultants. Now, don't let those words intimidate you. Uh, sometimes counselors and consultants can be uh, high-powered people that you pay to give you insight and counsel. For example, here at the seminary, uh, particularly during our relocation a year or so ago, we used all kinds of paid counselors and consultants, uh, land use counselors, uh, real estate professionals, attorneys, and uh, educational uh, specialists, uh, HR consultants. We hired people and brought them into our situation to help us uh, look at the options that we had in making many of the decisions that we had to make. So it can be that kind of formalized and sometimes expensive process. Uh, churches sometimes use counselors or consultants like people to help them with fundraising projects or people help them to design or redesign how they're going to use their facilities or uh, people to come in and look at their leadership structure or their bylaws or constitutional documents uh, and to figure out exactly how to change these things. So churches and church leaders can use these kind of professional counselors or consultants. But don't think only in those terms when you're thinking about making good decisions. For example, I've often used uh, a group of men, older men in my life, as counselors or consultants about a variety of decisions. Uh, everything from buying a house to making a move from one ministry to another, uh, to sorting out a dilemma that I'm having with parenting with one of my children, uh, to trying to figure out in these days what it means to be a good grandfather or uh, to relate to son-in-law and daughter-in-law and other people that, are coming, that have come into our family. Uh, these are the kinds of decisions that you have to make both professionally and personally as life unfolds. So over the years, I've developed some people that I call my wise guys. Uh, these are some men that are a little farther along in life than I am. Uh, who've had more experiences than I've had in these various areas of parenting, grandparenting, uh, life transitions. Um, I go to these guys and I ask them for insight, wisdom, counsel. I lay out some options I'm fa feeling or facing or difficulties or challenges I'm looking at. And I ask them how they resolve these issues or how they've observed other people resolving them. And these guys have been counselors and consultants to me uh, really over a lifetime. I'm still doing this. Um, I recently had a conversation with a man and asked him some questions about uh, how he was managing, thinking about uh, the last phase of his ministry life and how he was thinking about uh, what he could do to finish strong in his work. And I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. And I want to make sure that I have a good plan for that phase of my life as well. So I'm talking to guys that have been down the road a little farther than me about those kinds of issues as well. And they're shaping uh, my decision-making. I pray, I gather information, I've consulted stakeholders, deliberated about my decision. Now I'm talking to some consultants and counselors about it. Now, the definition of a, a consultant or a counselor is not whether you pay them or not. It's not whether they have degrees or not. Um, the definition is this is a person who's not a stakeholder who can speak objectively into your decision-making process. This is someone who won't be impacted one way or the other by what's done. So this is typically not someone who's a part of your organization or a part of your church or a part of your ministry. This is someone from the outside that you can go to and talk with. It's interesting in that I'm now finding myself uh, in this role for a number of younger men who are in ministry who call me or email me from time to time and say, hey, Doc, what about this question? What about this issue? What about this particular problem? Uh, can you help me have any thought about what I might do in this situation? 
Uh, they're not asking me to tell them what to do. They're using me as one of, the, of their wise guys uh, to give them information, insight, and reflection about what they might do. So remember, your counselors and consultants are not necessarily people that you hire, not necessarily degreed people or paid people, uh, not necessarily professional people in various categories, although they can be. Your counselors and consultants are primarily uh, people who are not stakeholders, who are outside your organization, who can speak to you about your personal situation or about your organizational situation with some level of objectivity uh, or third-party detachment as they look into your situation. Well, now we're to step six. And step six is privately decide. In other words, make up your mind. Privately decide means that you make the decision of what you're going to do. You make the decision of what you're going to do in your family or in your personal life or in your finances. You make the decision what you're going to do in your employment situation. You make the decision at work about what you're going to do about a personnel matter, what you're going to do about a uh, facilities concern, what you're going to do in our case about the curriculum or about some educational emphasis or program that you're going to launch. You privately make the decision. You make up your mind. Now, I'm going to talk in just a moment about what comes next, so don't jump ahead. Privately decide means that you, and you only, come to a rock-solid decision about what needs to be done. You've prayed. You've gathered information. You've consulted stakeholders. You've deliberated about your decision, studying both the problem and the options, and you have debriefed those options with counselors and consultants, proposing to them what you think you might do, what might be done, asking them for observations on what could be done. You've done all these steps. Now, you privately decide. Now, that leads to an interesting question. When do you make the decision? How do you know when you're there and you're ready to make the call? Well, two ideas to help you with this. First, when there is a deadline, Excuse me, when, the, you know, when there is a deadline, make the best decision in the time allotted. When there is a deadline, make the best decision in the time allotted. For example, um, every spring, the Board of Trustees of our school has to adopt a budget. Uh, that's not optional. That has to be done, and it has to be done on a certain day. And so about three weeks before that meeting, I have to have the budget finalized. And that budget has to be submitted for review by the board, and that gives them time to process it and come together and make a really good decision. You might say, well, what if three weeks prior to the board meeting you're not quite sure? Well, that doesn't matter. I have to make a decision. The time is up. The deadline has come. So on that day, I make the best decision possible. I put the things in the budget that I think need to be there. I take the things out that I think can't be put in this particular year, and I advance that budget forward to the board. It's the same thing on something like a hiring procedure or what you're going to preach on Sunday. There are deadlines to these things, times that have to be held uh, absolute. So God knows about those timetables, and he knows that he has you in a leadership role, and he knows you're praying and consulting and considering and deliberating, Make the best decision possible in the time allotted and move forward. It is not good leadership for me to go to the board and say, well, I'm still praying about it. I don't really have a budget yet. That's a recipe for a short presidency. You have to be willing to make decisions in the time allotted with the timetable that has to be honored so that organizations and individuals can keep moving forward with their lives and ministries. But, that, but then what about when there is no deadline? Some decisions are open-ended. 
What do you do when there is no deadline? Well, I believe that you simply wait for inner peace. As a leader, you wait until you've come to an inner conviction about the decision that you know is the best decision you can make, the decision you're comfortable making, and the, de the decision you're willing to stand for, and most importantly, the decision you're willing to stand with the consequences and bear the consequences as they unfold. Probably the most dramatic example of this recently for me has, was the decision to relocate the seminary. Uh, there was no fixed deadline about this decision. I simply had to work on it following these steps that I'm describing to you in the podcast. I had to work on it until I reached a place where I had inner peace, inner conviction that this was what God really wanted our school to do. I remember being in a meeting discussing this with our stakeholders, our, our vice presidents particularly, and I said that day, I have, to be, I have to wait until I'm sure that I've made the decision to the point that I can announce it without flinching <laughs> or without blinking. What I meant was I, I wanted to be able to stand in front of the seminary community uh, and speak directly to them, looking them dead in the eye and say, this is what I believe is best, this is the decision that has been reached, and now we're going forward together. I call this a no-flinch decision where you don't cower, you don't look away, you don't look down, you don't blink. You simply say, this is what is the best, and this is what we're going to do. Now, again, when there is no deadline, you have the luxury, if you will, of praying, gathering information, consulting stakeholders, deliberating, and proposing options to counselors and consultants for however long it takes until you come to a rock-solid decision that it's time to build a building, it's time to launch a new ministry, it's time to start a new church, it's time to enroll in school. There's no fixed deadline, but you know it's time. You know it's the right moment. You know it's what needs to be done, and you come to an inner conviction, a rock-solid uh, uh, conclusion that you can announce to people without blinking or flinching or looking away. You simply know deep in your heart that it's the right thing to do. Now, once you've privately decided, then that moves to step seven, and that is to publicly decide. Now, public decision-making is more than just announcing what you've decided. Public decision-making is leading your organization or some part of your organization through a process of discovery that leads them to see why you've made the decision that you've made and asking them to join you in supporting that decision. For example, if you decide to change the preschool curriculum in your church and you've done the steps that I've described, including consulting stakeholders and all, that I've, uh, and all these other first six steps, you come to a final conclusion yourself. Now, what do you do? Do you simply send out an email and announce it and say, well, that's it, too bad, I hope you, I hope you, can, you can accept this? No. You use a decision-making process. You meet again with your stakeholders. You explain to them how you've been praying about this and how the information that has been gathered. And you show them the information. Show them the cost analysis. Show them, show them the educational benefits. Show them how it will be uh, implemented and the process of training that will be used to support them as, they, as you go forward in the decision. Uh, give them this information and help them to understand the decision that's been made. Now, if it's a decision uh, like this one that doesn't really call for a vote or some kind of process like that, then the leading of the decision-making process is more about giving information, answering questions, providing emotional support, and assuring people that you're going to help them to implement the decision effectively. 
If it is, however, a decision that calls for some kind of decision or vote by either elders or congregation, or in my case, a board, then you're not only taking these first six steps, moving them along through the entire process, but then you're coming up to also asking them to make a final or a complete decision on the issue at hand. Leading through an organizational decision-making process means doing many of the same things that you've done privately in a public fashion. It means that you pray, you, not, you don't gather, but instead you share information. You don't consult stakeholders for information. You instead consult them in the sense of teaching, guiding, showing, and directing what they need to know about the coming decision. And then you may also bring in the information that you've gained from consultants or counselors or others to give, inf to give credibility to the decision that you've made. Again, if you're leading up to simply implement, implementing a decision, uh, then that's the process you would use. You'd use a very similar process, but add another step to it if the group has to make the final decision. And that would be that you would put it all before them and ask them to then come together in some appropriate format and make the right decision or make a decision based on what you're recommending. Which leads us then to the last step, and that is manage the consequences of your decision and the results. This is, <laughs> this is uh, often overlooked by people who make decision and, uh, decisions, and that is you don't just make a decision and go on from it. You have to make the decision and then manage the intended results and the unintended consequences. This means that you have to stay with a decision that you've made until it's fully implemented. A decision is not final until it's fully implemented. So. That means that when you've made the decision privately and you've led the public decision-making process, you're still not finished until you have finally led what it takes to accomplish the decision and to fully put it into effect in your organization. This may mean that you have to shape budget for a following year, change personnel, do training for new curriculum, put in place new programming. This means that sometimes when you've made a decision, the actual fulfillment of the decision may take days, weeks, or in some cases, even months. But the decision's not really final until it's fully implemented. So, steps to making better decisions. Pray, gather information, consult stakeholders, deliberate about your decision, propose options to counselors or consultants, privately decide. Then, publicly decide, either through an educational process or through a process that leads to the final decision being made. And then, once the decisions are made, recognize that things are not finished or complete until the intended results have been implemented, implemented and the unintended consequences have been managed. Well, as you put this into practice, you're going to f discover that there are some perils that decision makers face. Let me list these briefly. First, analysis paralysis. This is using lack of complete information as, a, information as an excuse to not make a decision. This is getting stuck somewhere around that 90% point of, making, of gathering information and being unwilling to go forward until you have the last 10% in hand. Analysis paralysis is using the lack of information as an excuse to dilly-dally and deny your responsibility to, have co to courageously make good decisions. A second peril is fear of being criticized, which immobilizes you and keeps you from making decisions. Let me assure you, if you are a leader and you make decisions, you will be criticized. It is an inevitable part of being a leader. You cannot allow the fear of criticism 
to immobilize you and keep you from making decisions. Go ahead and make them, accept the criticism that comes, and move along. Another peril, peril of decision-making is the inability to change your mind. Let's face it, sometimes we make decisions and they're the wrong ones. One of the things I've tried to learn over the years is how to fail faster. In earlier times when I made a bad decision, I would spend far too much energy trying to justify it, correct it, or somehow find a way to make it work. Now when I see something isn't working, I'm much more willing to just simply say, let's stop here for a moment. I made a bad decision. Let's back up and redo this in a way that's going to be better for me, for you, for the organization. I've discovered that my fears many years ago that people would be that my leadership would be diminished by admitting I'd made a bad decision uh, were really misplaced. In reality, people appreciate it when you admit that you've made a bad decision and are and esteem you more highly as a leader when they hear you or see you admitting the fact that you simply need to change your mind. But the other side of that is another peril, and that's what I call vacillation. And that's changing your mind or decisions haphazardly. It's not being able to stick with a decision that, that is the right one, even though it's creating difficulty or it's hard to implement or it's expensive. It's changing your mind too quickly, changing your mind haphazardly. It's careening between extremes and, giving, and, and, and causing people to have a lack of confidence in you because of that. So I realize these are sort of two sides to the coin, these last two perils of decision-making. The inability to change your mind is holding on to a bad decision too long. Vacillation is running away from a good decision before it really fully is implemented. So find that middle ground between those two extremes. And then the last peril is the failure to recognize the importance of a process uh, related to a group decision or to a group owning a decision. That goes back to the last part of the model I've laid out, and that is that you have to publicly decide these, uh, publicly implement your decisions. In some cases, even lead a process of publicly deciding to affirm the decision that you've made or the recommendation that you've made. So be aware, beware of these perils of decision making: analysis paralysis, being immobilized by fear of being criticized. The extremes of being unable to change your mind or vacillating and changing your mind too rapidly and failing finally to recognize the time needed for group process to either own and implement a decision or lead to them making the final decision based on the recommendation you've brought forward. Decision-making strategies. I've used this uh, guide to help me make small decisions and big decisions. When I get stuck in any kind of decision-making process, I pull out this sheet of paper and I work back through these steps to see what I can do to push myself along toward making the decision that's needed. I hope this strategy will help you as well. Hey, thanks for joining me on the podcast and keep it up out there. It's our responsibility. We've got to do it. So lead on.